0: Good Internet. It's the Harvest of Colin Atrophy, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 17 of Radio Harvester. The guest this month is none other than Ted Leo of Ted Leo fame. And uh, this is one that I was looking forward to before I did it, and I felt good about it. Ted is someone whose work and just general personhood I have admired for, I don't know, like almost 20 years. And Sometimes when you meet people that you looked up to when you were a teen and, like, continued to think were cool, it's hard because they can be not as cool as you thought they were going to be. And with Ted, he was as cool as I thought he was going to be. He was really affable and he's very smart and he's real charming, very well dressed, you know, just like a generally all-around cool guy and it, it made me feel good that I got to sit down and talk to him, and uh, it feels like, you know, we're doing this thing for a reason, all of us, being punk, and that reason is so that I can meet Ted Leo. So, uh, yeah, listen, enjoy, we talked about a bunch of shit, we talked about clothes, we talked about screwdriver records, we talked about uh, Jersey and ABC No Rio, and major labels, and traveling, and... We didn't talk about politics because this interview happened a year ago and it was just a different time. So yeah, get it. (laughs)
1: From Jersey, right? What part of Jersey uh,
2: yeah. are you from? Uh, Bloomfield. It's like, uh, really not far. It's like north Newark.
0: Okay. And what's that like? Where's you like? What was growing up like?
2: Bloomfield's. A, it's a. It's a little bit of a scrappy place. Uh, even more so back in the seventies. Sure. Um, like it, you might have heard of Montclair, New Jersey. It's kind yeah, of yeah. It's, it's glitzy neighbor. Okay. Um, but Bloomfield. It had a. I guess when I was growing up, it had a kind of. A, it was kind of a geriatric town. Like a lot of old people. You know? okay. A lot of old people and who had just been there forever and. Uh, you know, it was like. I think it was probably a lot. Did you grow up in
0: Queens? And I grew up in New Rochelle, West uh, Westchester.
2: I think it was. I think it was probably a lot like any of those. Those places like. Yeah, my it, whole
0: family is from like Woodhaven and Corona. Though. Yeah,
2: like it's not, you know, it's the kind of place that was like, it's too urban to be in the suburbs, but it's, you know, maybe a little too suburban to be like the city, you know? Right. Like, it's like the mellower parts of Queens. Yeah, or yeah, Brooklyn it sounds like Queens, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot like that.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> So how did you, so the FMU guy is the one who got you into punk, you were saying?
2: Well, I mean, not necessarily that got me into punk, but that I first really started hearing, like, hardcore specifically, this guy, Pat Duncan, sure, um, had a radio show on FMU for, I don't even know when it started, but, I mean, I started listening to it in the early 80s, and uh, back then FMU was in East Orange, there was a college there called Uppsala College, and it was on the... Uppsala College campus, okay, and it was only about a mile from my house. So eventually, when I when I figured that out, and I started, you know, having friends and bands and stuff later, like I would, like walk down to the station and I hang out and uh, meet people and stuff. Um, but it's funny that this is what you wanted to talk about actually, because I woke up today singing "Holidays in the Sun" to myself all uh-huh. morning. Cool. And I was just th- I was actually thinking all day about like Man, whatever the Sex Pistols became, they're a great fucking band. They're yeah. still a great fucking band. Yeah, that record's and, and, really good. Yeah, And, like, that, specifically Holidays in the Sun, is, like, it's gotta be, it's still, like, one of the greatest, like, punk vocal performances ever in my book, you know? And, um, and it actually got me thinking about all this stuff and because I, I was, like, First of all, I don't know why I woke up singing that today, but I sure. do still listen to that record every now and then. And, and that's, like, I think for a lot of people of my age who are, like, too young to have seen the Sex Pistols or that kind of first wave of bands. Sure. But old enough to have known about it happening when it happened. Right. Um, that They were, like, a real entry point for me. So, like, I got that record... Not that, I mean, not in 76, but I, I got it, you know, probably maybe five or six years later, and it was the kind of thing where, like, I remember as a kid, like, hearing on the radio when they broke up, you know, like, boom punk band the Sex Pistols you know, up. and I was yeah, a little yeah. kid but you know you hear the word Sex Pistols and it's a little kid and it sears itself on your brain if you have a certain type of brain I absolutely, guess absolutely know? yeah and uh, so I was always like huh interesting and um I was like I was already really into the who which and things like in the late 70s and, and the, the turn of the decade the the things, the punkier things that MTV was playing, like The Jam and Adam and the Ants sure. and stuff, um, I was like really really into. Not necessarily understanding, you know, exactly what differentiated them from a lot of other popular music sure, at the yeah, time, yeah. but but having an, having having it a, a little bit of an idea about that, and then. And I remember, like, really specifically walking into this record store in in Bloomfield um, and seeing Nevermind the, seeing the Bollocks and being like, oh yeah,
1: that's oh, that band. I'm like, gonna that, like that. I can't yeah. really get
2: that. that. I remember some of my hip hop friends at the time, like, being like, Yo, this is dope, man <laughs> Yo, this is fucking crazy music, dude <laughs> You know I was like I was like, yeah This is, this is punk, yeah Yeah, they all talk like rabies. Yeah, exactly yeah. Yes, exactly, yeah um, and, uh, and then, you know Then from there it was like that, that store also had like Misfits Records And I would just buy stuff Based on the covers back sure. then Found Pat Duncan's show, which then I would I would actually hear like a lot of hardcore from him all over, and, and uh, took off from there.
0: Yeah. How did you? How old were you when you started playing in band?
2: Um, a little bit older. Like I didn't even pick up a guitar until I was like 18. I was I was just singing. Oh, wow. I was just singing and just right. singing in a few bands before that. Um, but, like, anything real where we actually were writing songs, 16? Yeah.
0: yeah, I remember... You remember that band, Sticks and Stones? The
2: best Jersey hardcore band ever. Sure, Hard so
0: ever, yeah. Johnny X, right, mm-hmm. the guitar player. I was at a Bouncing Soul show where his band opened when I was, like, maybe 14. Johnny X and the Conspiracy or whatever. No way. I and, uh, and I went over to the merch table and I was looking through the 7 Inches and he was like, uh, oh, hey, kid, what's your name? You know what I mean? Just being... He's like, I'm Johnny. And I was like, oh, you know, from the band, you were in the opening band. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's me. And I was like, did you name yourself after that Bouncing Soul song? Because that record had just come out. Oh, man. You know, and I was 14? Yeah. And he was like, no, 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 that song is about me. And I was kind of <laughs> like, whoa. And he goes, what's your band? Without even, mm. not even do you play in a band. He's like, what's your band called? And I was like, oh, I don't have a band. And he was like, yeah, why not? And I was like, I'm 14, I can't have a band and he gave me this 7-inch by some uh, The Orphans, some, doesn't matter, know, Creep yeah. Records, weird shit from huh. the early 90s. They put out one 7-inch, I think. The Government Stole My germ CD was the song that I remember. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and he's like, well, these kids are 16. They may have a record out. So you should start a band. <laughs> you know, like, go start a band now. And I was I left that show holding that record, and yeah. I was just like, oh, all right.
2: <laughs> That's amazing. That's really cool. But it's like...
0: I don't know. Like, I feel like there's those moments, right, where people, the older person, and you know, me and him. There were older punks that I hung out with and have Mm -hmm. had like, you know, cool mentorship, transformative friendships with, or whatever throughout my life. But like, I just met him that one afternoon and never again. It was like, but that moment was so pivotal in like, I guess, just like teaching me about agency and having agency in my own life. Yeah. I don't know. I was looking at that. That Flyer Show at No Rio. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That Freddie yeah. put up. Yeah. Um, and what's... I'm totally... I haven't had any copy of today, but I'm blanking on the name of that band. That he, your band that he put out the record of that
2: played... So, Citizen's Rest? Or Citizen's Rest. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about Citizen's Rest. Like what... And like being at No Rio around them.
2: Yeah, so that's another band that I, I started out just singing. And, um, sure.
0: There's all those pictures. You see... You're like... Yeah, uh,
2: yeah. It's great. <laughs> it, um that was a uh, so there was a there was a there was a store in Montclair, New Jersey, called Two Tone. Okay, that was kind of like the punk hub of that that area. Like they sold you know, clothes too. T-shirts, clothes, stickers, some records. It was hair dye. You it know? closed like,
0: like in the in the nineties, or is, no, is, this is the still 80s. open in the eighties? Was it still open in the nineties? No,
2: it uh, it it, cha- it actually changed to a place. To a place that did sell clothes, but it was a little cheesier. It was like it was called Romp and Stomp okay. after it changed owners, and it was a little more like a Hot Topic-y kind of Because there was kind of.
0: somewhere that used to advertise an MRR. Oh, yeah. It was that, in
2: Jersey, I. Right? That was Two-Tone. Two-Tone yeah. used to yeah. advertise all the time. I yeah. lo- and I looked yeah. at
0: those ads, and I was like, oh, i got to go to Jersey yeah. to this cool place. That was
2: a great place. It was like, uh, you know, Two-Tone, punks, mod, skin, Ted. You know? Yeah. <laughs> all that stuff. And uh, it was run by these two older punks, who at, at the time were already older punks this woman Roma I forget her husband's name but um, you know they were they were great they would just let us kids just hang around you know sure. listen to music talk and meet people and um, uh, Daryl Kahan, who bec- who was originally the drummer of Citizens Arrest lived in Montclair and he used to hang out there too I just ran in- I ran into him there, one time we started talking about music, and sure. you know, he was playing drums in, Citiz- in what became Citizens' Rest at that time. Uh, and you know, he was like, Hey, I'm starting a band if you want to, you know, like, yeah. starting this new band. We're looking for a singer. And I was like, Get in on it." Yeah, okay, sure. Let's do it. So, uh, and it was me and him, and uh, the guitar player was this guy, Giannis Kackers, who lived in Manhattan, and the bass player was Joe Martin, who's uh, from Queens. Cool, and I mean uh, Brooklyn. Sorry, he was from. Yeah, he's from. He was from. Yeah, I think he actually grew up in like Sunset Park or Park Slope or something like that. Anyway, um, people used to do that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, um, Yeah, so we started. We started playing, and um, this is before ABC No Rio. Like the first show I remember playing with them. Might have been like downtown Beirut. It's called downtown Beirut. Um, that is no longer there. Other you know places around Jersey, Outlaw Island and stuff. Uh, sure. And uh, and then I actually I went to college, and this is a whole other story because I did that because I just like. I was just in the shoot, you know, like, I went to Catholic school my whole life, and it was just like, now you go to college, you know, and, um, and, uh, so, at the time, you know, we weren't, we hadn't put out a record, like, we weren't doing much, and I I went to school in Indiana, so I was like, you know, I'm going to be home from time to time, but, like, if you guys want to, like, I don't want to hold you guys back if you want to keep doing stuff, um... And so that happened that's when Daryl started singing they got pat on drums and that's when, honestly like that's when Citizen Rest became the band that it was meant to be because sure. Daryl Daryl needed to be on vocals and yeah, it be- became this whole other other thing like when we started out we were we were like our whole our whole goal was to like de-metal our hardcore a little bit from where, from where New York hardcore had been going like we were sure, like yeah. we were actually like looking back I mean, we named ourselves after a negative effects song, you know, it was, like, we were looking back to, like, that kind of, like, SSD, D.I.S., the Boston-y, like, early Boston super fast stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, but then what happened when that, when Daryl started singing it was, like, they just turned into this new, brutal, you know, like, half-crust power violence thing That that, honestly, like, I was just, like... That's why when I did go back and, and join the band for time, I was just like, I was completely guitar. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm gonna step back. Yeah, because yeah. this is how it's supposed yeah. to be. You know? um, and uh, yeah, I mean that was that. It was funny too because for for, for a short a time as I was actually like in the in the band, you know, we did this one demo that like somehow went around the world and got got. Got a lot of people into the into the band. Sure. I, it was a really short period of time, actually. Yeah. It was, like, you know, less than two years. And um, very funny but awesome that, like, I mean, li- like to this day, especially in, like, Europe or someplace, you know, like, tiny birds in the middle of Germany, you know, like, pe- people will, will largely come see me only because i was the guy who was in that band you know Whoa. in so 1988 or whatever you know. that's
0: not today thinking about that like there's this band gloss have you heard this band gloss yeah uh-huh. okay so they're like the best hardcore band playing right now yeah. whatever they're really cool um they like they have a good pedigree they come from all these other bands they're like they've been in yeah. punk for a long time mm. angry for the right reasons we can all get behind it yeah. right fucking killer songs um And then there was like one day where everyone else from MRR at the the same time texted me and was like, have you heard the gloss demo yet? Wow. And it's like, there's cell phones and there's Tumblr and there's Twitter and it's like I go online and there's, everyone's talking about the gloss demo and I heard Sadie was saying, the singer was, she was like, yeah, we went from having 100 plays to 10,000 in like four hours. Holy shit, wow. And then you think about shit like that today and it's, it's. It's not surprising. But then you think about like in nineteen eighty eight that some hardcore band from Jersey slash Queens slash Manhattan or whatever gets their demo all around the world in two years and it really goes to show how uh, like what tight networks Punks had.
2: Absolutely, it's true, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, this it's interesting, like I'm not one to I'm not one to shit talk the web and what it's, the good things that it's brought, you know, at all. But it's also interesting when there's like, when there's a a, a limited number of outlets, um, sometimes it can actually like consolidate a tight, like a tighter scene in in a way, you know. I don't know, for better or for worse.
0: Yeah, I think it's like, I'm not i'm not interested in making a hierarchy or whatever right like there's things to there's things that were definitely i think i'm i'm just young enough to have the internet seem pervasive in my adulthood but just old enough to have had like the beginnings of my teenage years before cell phones right right or like aol or whatever Uh like i learned about shows by getting a flyer at the record store like a normal person yeah yeah. or like by being handed a flyer at the show that i'm at
2: currently Or by, yeah, you're like, you, you know, the, I mean, that that was, like, the world of zines back then, too, was just, like, yeah. so important in terms of, like, you know, Maximum Rock and Roll, I used to read, the thing that I really, the thing that I loved the most about MRR all through, especially in the 90s, I think, was was uh, the scene reports, you know, because sure. that's, like, how you found out about other bands from other places if they weren't touring on, you know, if they
0: yeah. And by the... Are you touring, like, internationally by then? Like, what's... No! Tell me more about your musical trajectory. So, so.
2: yeah. So, it was really stunted in a lot of ways by a lot of different things. Like, it's... This is the thing where, like... At this point in my life, like, I'm relatively happy with... Who I am, so I can't necessarily say that I would go back and change anything. Sure. But there's, like, going to college was... It was, they were the, some of the worst years of my life, honestly. Did you finish? I did. I left for a while, and I went back and finished. Um, and uh, it was like, you know, I, I did. You know, I started bands that that became something while I was at school with people that I met there. But, um, but you know, back here, all of my friends were doing things that I wanted to be closer to. Susan's Arrest, Born Against, Rorschach, like, all those people were like doing things that, um, <clears throat> you know, that I was always itching to get home to, to be a part of. Also, like, I was just like, I was, I can look back now and understand, like, that I was just, I was in a really like depressed, depressive state. It was a, uh, it was just, a, it was a bad time in a lot of ways. It was, a, it was w- the wrong place For me to be, in a lot of ways, I also, like, I had a ton of energy, and I was too immature to know how to channel it or what to do with it, and I was acting out in shitty ways, and you know, like, it was was a bad time, Um, and I didn't do a lot with music until again, like until you know, other than listen to it you know, go to shows and stuff, you know. Sure. I started a band Chisel in uh, I guess like 8, eight, 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 eight
1: nine.
2: But that room that was with a guy from D C and a guy from another guy from Jersey and uh, you know that remained really just like a spare time kind of thing.
0: I think of Chisel as a Jersey
2: band. Oh from yeah. Like,
0: from what I, you know.
2: That's interesting because, I mean, we were on Gurn right. when we started putting out records, but really we were at we, the band didn't start doing anything until uh, I, I had I I moved I left college for a while I moved back here and worked and. Uh, did Hell No with the Sims Rest had just broken up, did Hell No right. with those guys, um, and was like the guy who was always, you know, who would like drive Born Against a Rorschach to and from the airport, and be like, oh, I don't really, this is what I want to be doing, but I have to work now because, yeah. you know. And, uh, um eventually i went back and finished and then i moved to dc and chisel was really a dc thing
0: sure
2: Um, and that's that's when i really started you know full-time doing what i could but even that like we were all also you know like working all the time and for me i was like i was ready to to Scrub it up as much as I needed to to be out on the road and everything. Sure. Um, but it wa- it wasn't always the case that uh, we could make that work with the other guys of the band's schedules, and we never toured as much as I wanted to. So the real story is then that when in '97 I quit that band. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do until. Do you know, remember the Warmers? It was like Alec Mackay '90s band. Okay, um, yeah. Uh, they were doing some shows locally, like in like a week, long weekend, like down in, in Virginia and back to DC. And they were like, "Hey, why don't you just come with us and just play some songs?" I was like, "Alone?" They're like, "Yeah, you got songs. Just come play." Because
0: you were writing songs at this point.
2: Yeah, sure. I was like okay, I'll do that. And then I was like, oh yeah, I can do I can fucking play alone. I can do that. And, um, and then I was just like, oh, not only can I play alone, but now I'm completely on my own schedule. So I'm just going to stay on the road. And that's pretty much what I did. I mean, literally until, I don't think I really slowed down from like, over 200 shows a year until like 2007, and over that time, me playing alone became the pharmacist, and now here we are. Yeah,
0: the pharmacist. Let's come out on Discord. Look out! Look out! Oh wow! Right.
2: Yeah, I did my first one. That used the name Pharmacist As a solo record That was on Gern mm-hmm. And then uh, The first one That was like Officially a band record Was on Lookout Lookout Did three records yeah. Lookout
0: That's a That's so That's funny
2: Yeah I like it That's great For me that was A really good time Like Chris And Molly Newman Who had mm-hmm. been In Bratmobile and I knew her From DC and Bratmobile I mean, Yeah Uh we're running a label and I know that you know I know that a lot of people look on that as a not a uh, not peak peak lookout years to put it mildly sure um, but and I'll say this like I think with a lot of the other I think they signed I think they I think they signed a lot of kind of not not ideologically necessarily in line uh indie-ish kind of bands that maybe didn't work out and that's part of why financially things went went downhill Um, but I loved being on that label I mean for me like you know Op Ivy was huge and um and
1: I, uh, I loved everybody who worked there at the time. Do um, you know uh,
2: this SF band, This Is My Fist? Yeah, of back course. Back then, yeah, Todd from like, This Is My Fist is working there. And was like,
0: they would come play at this house right. uh, in Crown Heights all the time mm. that I, my old band practiced at.
2: Excellent. Yeah, it was, I, I thought that was, that was a great time, actually. We actually sold a, a lot of records. During yep. that time, that was nice. it was nice. It's good. I believe it. I believe I like. Um,
0: I love those records. I really like mm. that uh, that EP with the Split Ends cover with
2: that? Mm. Six uh, months in a leaky boo.
0: Yeah, Shit is so good. Oh, I think that's the pharmacist record that I I like return to the most. Mm. Oddly enough, that's cool. Yeah, I love that color. Um, but it's totally. Like, it's funny Because I can see In the pharmacist And like the songwriting You did with the pharmacist I can see how your Like Your entry point Into punk Was through Like The jam mm-hmm. and, like, Yeah Kind of neo mod And new wavy stuff Yeah Because it's like I remember listening to Those records at first My friend Nate played them for me And like, he was like This shit is cool man And I was like Sounds like Squeeze <laughs> Yeah And he was like, yeah, but you like Squeeze. And I was like, oh, yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) You
2: know? Yeah, that was, you know, that was interesting, too. Like, because Chisel was even more, Chisel was even more, like, explicitly referencing of that stuff, you know? Sure. And, um... But but we were hardcore kids. Like, we played mostly hardcore shows still, you know? um, I think that with anything, I mean, this might be a bit of an overstatement, but... I think you can always tell you know based on how somebody approaches a live show probably more than anything like whether you have that shared history or not sure yeah absolutely it's well it never felt inappropriate that we were doing what we were doing within the hardcore world still Um, yeah yeah, and you know, ultimately, like, the, even going back to, like, Susan's arrest and the difference between me and Daryl is that, like, I can shout, but I prefer to sing, <laughs> so. It just seems like such a funny, I don't know, it's... So was there ever, um,
0: was there, like, backlash Chisel, or did you guys get...
2: No, no, no not at all. Um, People were into it? Yeah, I think for the most part, they were, I mean... I think we were a little bit of an anomaly back then. It was like we were doing, quote-unquote, melodic music, but, like, we weren't a, quote-unquote, emo band, you know, which would be the only other kind of way that people mostly would would be bringing that in, you know. Um, um, But, again, like, I mean, when we played live, I mean, I think it was... It was obvious that we were a punk band. You know? Right. It's just so, clear yeah. that you guys are punks. I would hope so. I mean, again, I'm, I'm speaking for people, and I shouldn't be, but, like...
0: No, I think, I mean, I think, like, the Pharmacists were the were the band that helped me. I listened to only, like, the worst street punk mm. for most of my adolescence. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, like, I, you know, I grew up with, like, weird, like, art freak parents, so, like... I also listened to Sunrise shit, you know, like weird yeah. jazz. I remember trying to I got a, I got a spaz record mm-hmm. and I was like, this is finally gonna freak my dad out, you know? I was like, this is gonna get him, he's gonna he's gonna not like this. I'm finally gonna find some <laughs> music that he doesn't like. And I was listening to it in my bedroom and he pokes his head in the door and he was like, What is this, painkiller? Which is a John Zorn project with yeah. the drummer from Napalm death mm-hmm. and I was like no, Dad. <laughs> he was like, you know what, painkiller is? That's John Zorn and the drummer from Napalm Death. And I was like, God damn it, Dad! How do you even know what Napalm Death is, Dad? Jeez. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, so I did. I, I wasn't like exclusively punk, but like uh-huh. I listened to, you know, like like Seventy Seven and like mm-hmm. the Casualties no. and uh, the uns, Unseen mm-hmm. and all those like New York and Boston spiky hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, bands that were big in the in the mid-90s and uh, and I think it took me a while like I very famously was told someone that the Stooges were too psychedelic you know what I mean like yeah, I just uh-huh. I was not interested yeah. in anything that uh-huh. was even remotely interesting and uh, and I feel like I think the pharmacists for me were were a way for me to like like a way for me to open that up a little bit and mm. be like oh these are punks. These are clearly punks. But this is not punk like I conceive of it. Right. And it actually sounds like this other music that I, like, have a hard time acknowledging that I like because it seems accessible and that is, like, odious to me for some reason because I'm an adolescent. Oh. And uh, I feel like getting into your bands was a, was a way for me to be like, oh, you know what? I actually love, you know, Rod Stewart. I actually love, like, I love good songwriting and, like...
2: Yeah, well... That's that's how I felt, and that's you know that's also like how, for me growing up, like what I guess like what music was for me too. Like at the you know, like if I was, it was rare. I mean, there were definitely you know everybody goes through phases where they're like really into one thing or whatever, but it was rare that you know there was ever anything that I would. Shut out for any kind of meta reasons, you know. Like, if I liked it, I liked it, you know. Although I will say that that also—that's not entirely true because certainly I was actually also known, I think, among my friends for being the like the the proto-populist, you know, like the sure. person who would like be like, no, but listen, <laughs> like. I know it's dumb. I know it's, like, super super popular. But, like, listen to this, like, hook that they wrote in here. Like, it's good, it's sure. smart, you know, like, it's crafty, like, whatever. Um, but at the same time, I also, like... And I mean, I carry this with me, too. I, I, I'm, I'm actually very, very out of the loop of modern pop music. And I sometimes feel a little bit bad about that. But I don't begrudge anybody... For choosing whether they like it or not, for choosing not to listen to something because of those meta reasons, you know, because sure. like in the same way that like you know, back with a bang, screwdriver, you know, yeah. it's like it's a great song. Sure, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let it in, you know, necessarily. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like because of what else it is, you know. I'm like that's, I feel like that's fine too. Like if somebody. If there's somebody out there who's going through a thing and they're like, you know, why do I, why do I want to like support soft music oh. right now, or you know, something sure, like yeah, yeah. that's that's yeah, that's your thing, man. Your go thing. You know, yeah, go you through that live phase, your life. absolutely, yeah. Or like, yeah, live your life, you know? Um It's it's totally subjective. You know, so.
0: I think when I was like 12 or 13, one of like the moments of like like, oh, how my eyes have fallen or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was reading uh, Rancid, were on the cover of Spin, mm-hmm. and there was the, there were, like, the, like, the, the only hard-hitting moment in the entire interview was the guy was like, yo, Lars, what's up with all these screwdriver records that you own? He was like, oh, you know, I'm just trying to keep them off the streets. You know, like, better I have them here than, uh, than some kid finds them. So, like, every time I see a screwdriver record in a record store, I just buy it. for like get it off the streets or whatever. And I was I was 12, and I was just like... I mean, couldn't you just, like, just, like, break it or, like, throw it away?
2: Yeah, I remember we used to... They were, they were like, for, for, forever. Like, for almost as long as I can remember. Like, no no punks that I knew would shop at Bleaker Bob's because they, uh-huh. they stocked uh, Screwdriver Records. I actually... Uh, I actually... I finally bought a bootleg of the, the first record sure. about 10 years ago. So at a record store in Eugene, Oregon, I found this bootleg of it that all the proceeds were going to an anti-fascist <laughs> organization. But I was like, "All right, now I can own, now I can own this."
0: Also, that's the kind of thing where like, like as a piece of punk ephemera you want to own the mm-hmm. the boot of the screwdriver yeah. record yeah. the like the Straight. ARA put out or whatever. Uh-huh. Like when Century Twenty or sorry, Forever Twenty One was selling flipper shirts oh for God, like yeah.
1: mm-hmm. two weeks. Yeah. There
0: was a um Mark Jacobs did a shirt with the agnostic front. Or no, it was the screwdriver boots.
2: Right. Uh, no, well, wasn't it the ag- I thought it was the agnostic front. Yeah. Well, but it it the agnostic it's the same front. thing. It's yeah, kinda the, the same thing. thing. Yeah. It's basically
0: yeah. the same. Yeah. I think it was actually the exact image from the, right. that one screwdriver, like the third screwdriver record or whatever.
2: You know Zach Lopez? Zachary Lopez? Of course. Um, when that happened, I remember a big long, we had a big long conversation about flirting with fascist imagery, you know, everything, like everything from Joy Division to uh,
0: Ice Age. And, um, sure.
2: It's, uh, it's a weird, weird thing.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, they look cool.
2: Yeah. Right. Sure. Mm-hmm.
0: I get it, and I could give you some bullshit like as a but as a Jew, but like actually, I don't, yeah. I don't feel anything like that. But I, I just think it's dumb. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's that's actually another. That whole discussion is another example. It's like of the idea, of, you know, the idea that keeping something at arm's length is actually an okay thing to do. <laughs> like you don't have to, you don't have to let all your filters down. You
1: mm-hmm.
2: know? Okay,
0: so let's let's run run through the timeline. You're a teen. You're into how did you get into bug in the first place? Just like. Uh, you told me this I was, just, I was just I was
2: a music I mean I would just, yeah, was just I was really Jesus into music And I was just listening Like I, My dad actually took me To see Adam and the Ants At the Capitol Theater In Miss In like 1980 My first concert And um Yeah I was just I, I just consumed Music you know? And then
0: playing bands a little bit you go to college you come back you're doing Chisel after college
2: yeah right living in D.C. living in D.C. with Chisel actually between 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 Chisel and uh, you know when the Pharmacist became kind of a band again I was I was I was playing solo but simultaneously to playing solo all the time I also uh, I played guitar in uh a kind of final version of uh, this band The Spinnings like a on Sub Pop and um by the end of Chisel um we went through a weird thing where, um we were getting courted by some major labels and uh had a bunch of meetings with people and um it all not all of it but 90% of it felt very shitty to me and um mm-hmm. And I had this kind of violent reaction to it all where we're like <laughs> I remember our last show was uh, I quit the band the night before our last show we played the final show but the, the night that I quit we were playing a house show in uh, Auburn Alabama and you no know, it was this thing we're like guy who was supposed to bring the PA like never wasn't showing up and was sitting around for hours and I think I actually had a, like a mini breakdown kind of thing because I realized that like I'd just I'd been sitting on this porch just like staring at the ground for hours you know and I finally was like I think I was just thinking to myself like well here's you know here's the thing like if you're making a shit ton of money you can excuse all of the other things that are wrong about your life or what you're, or what you're doing, you know. Um, if you're having a lot of fun, you can do the same thing. I, I had neither at <laughs> yeah. that time, you know. And I was like, so what am I doing? Like, where the fuck is this going, you know. Like, yes. We're not talking to each other. We're not listening to the same music anymore. Like, we do not the same goals. We're not making money. We're not having fun. So, I was just like... After tomorrow, I'm done
1: with this. Right. Um,
2: and uh, so that happened, and um, and then I think in a in a in a, in a pivot to like to fuck, fuck indie world, you know, or whatever. I uh, I started this band with my little brother Danny and this guy Sean who had played in bass in the Van Pelt with my other brother Chris. Sure. Called the Sin Eaters. Okay. That um, was. More of a it was it was a very it was a very punk band <laughs> like it was yeah you know uh, we we actually this this thing burned so hard and fast that I think it lasted less than a year but we met we toured Europe during that time without a record because we had, I had started setting up a Chisel tour of Europe and I called the guy I was like yeah we broke up he's Scottish and he's like oh well. uh uh, are you doing anything else I was like yeah actually I just started another band he's like oh we'll do that then I was like okay yeah. cool <laughs> so, yeah we played like two shows in the, two or three shows in the states and uh, 49 <laughs> in 50 days in Europe so. Okay, <laughs> but um, you know that was that was a real like I'm fucking I'm fucking sing, singing about politics and issues again Right. I'm making aggressive no like no wavy Crusty, like crassy music. Yeah. This, this is how I fucking feel, you know. And it was, it was great, uh, but it burned out very fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's real. Yeah. Is there? Did you guys record? Yeah, uh, there's, there's like a demo. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. i gonna, I'll download it right. tonight. Yeah. Off, yeah. Um, Pirate Bay. Do it. Or whatever. <laughs> um,
0: cool. That's cool. So then you come back and you start doing, and you're driving Alex Band. And he's like, "Come play a show or
2: whatever." Oh, I wasn't even driving them. Like this—that this, that was actually that actually happened before this. Like okay. I had already started this playing solo. Um, no, it was it, well, no. This is all. This is all happened between in like a little. Yeah, yeah. between like May and September of, okay. of '97. In May, I quit Chisel, and in yeah. June, Alec was like, "Just come play some songs."
0: Yeah,
2: sure. By. July and August I'd started the Sin Eaters but I was also I was also keeping I kept playing solo Doing shows the solo stuff, right. and then when the Sin Eaters stopped I solo stuff kind of really took off full time
0: so when you start touring you're just like touring 200 days a year how are you is that you weren't working presumably right you're just like subsisting yeah off and
2: on I mean I was I was temping when yeah, I was on right. in places sure. and yeah, yeah.
0: that's very uh, it like it's so different but also like reminds me so much of Early Against Me. Oh yeah. In terms of just like, let's just put this piecemeal tour together as it happens, yeah. you know?
2: Yeah. Um, and I you know, when I I was doing for a few years I was touring alone, alone, alone. So that's right. a lot easier to make ends meet. Right, exactly. You know? Actually, you know, afford a hotel room every now and then. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think I heard a funny story from I think my friend Raimo in Pensacola who's in uh, he was in that band This Bike is a Pipe Bomb uh-huh, I don't know if yeah. you remember that guy he owned that End of the Line cafe or whatever uh,
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah I, mean, I, but, uh, I don't think I know him but, uh,
0: yeah. He was like uh, he was talking about the first time you came on tour to Pensacola and he was like ha, it was Pensacola and he was like yeah, and he was wearing this this like smart little jacket and this little polo shirt and And I just sat down and I said, so, uh, so are you a skinhead or what? And, uh, he was like, no, no, oh no. And I was like, oh, so you're a mod then. That makes sense. And I just, um, he also, him and Comic Bus became friends during a Crim tour where Paul had quit the band and it was just Jeff and Aaron
1: Uh in
0: Pensacola and, uh, They had just gotten lice, like, two days before, and they had both shaved their heads. Thank you so much. There's a card in here. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: And, uh, there was these... They were both sick, and it was, like, raining, and they were just, like, walking around downtown, like, holding each other. Oh, my God. And, uh, and Raimo went into the, like, coffee shop or wherever where the punks were hanging out, 85 or whatever, in, uh, Pensacola, 88 or whatever, and was like, yeah, so, uh... There's these two gay skinheads in town From California with this band I think I'm gonna go check it out <laughs> You know He I think like Cause that part of the country had like Like some real rough Yeah uh, Nazi Yeah I'm uh, sure uh, yeah. Shit I think they're like Extra on guard Yeah but We I, had that shit We had that shit
2: here in the 80s
0: Yeah totally like, In the 90s At No Rio There was Nazis from upstate That would come like every so often just to, like be hanging out with knives outside the show yeah. trying to stab people
2: so nuts in New Jersey there was there were two big Nazi groups there was NJS North Jersey Skins right and SJS South Jersey Skins <laughs> wow and uh, I had some friends from down at the shore uh, who were it was like living in the Warriors in the fucking Jersey Shore. Like there was in constant battles with, you these, go, with these guys. You. Thank, thank you. you. It's very British,
1: right? Like yeah. Punks and skinheads it's battling true, at right the now. seashore. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It was like, there's some nutty times. Like there was there was a bunch there were a bunch of Jersey Shore straight edge kids who I knew who like would carry uh, you know pool, pool balls like billiard balls around in fanny packs. Because they were always being attacked by, these, by like, SJS kids and stuff. Ah. Yeah, it was brutal. It was really weird. Like, the Jersey Shore. You, you know, talking about ABC No Rio, like, it was interesting how that coalesced. Like, a lot of people right about the same time were like, I can't fucking go to these Seabees matinees anymore. Like, I remember, uh, it was like the Biscuits, like, record spoiled. Show at CVs or something, and this guy minus you know, you know minus he was he was I can't remember if he was DMS or Sunset's game, but He's like still around, I think. But he um he had him swinging a hammer around in the pit, you know. And I was just like, like oh. yeah, like I'm I'm I was like I, mean, I what when did that ever come out? Eighty nine? I was like nineteen or something, sure. you know. I was like, I'm, I'm already too old for this shit. You yeah, know? Needs like, this is <laughs> ridiculous. I remember, like a, a early Super Bowl of hardcore. It was like Warzone, Cause for Alarm, like all these bands at, at the, what was then the Ritz, that's now Webster Hall, and um, just like seeing some long hair, just get, like get. And, like his nose broke by somebody kicking him in the face and just like the shit beat out of him just like I can't I can't do this man. And then the first time I went to ABC was before they moved the shows upstairs but it was before they renovated the basement to have shows down there. So it was like just in like this rubbly basement and it was born against Really early, uh, probably because Daryl was still playing with them, so he must have been like, "Hey, I'm playing in this new band." (laughs) And then, then you meet all these people, like you're like, "Oh yeah, this is where all my people went," you
0: know. (laughs) Into this gross basement. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, I actually I had Freddie on the radio show talking about uh, the beginnings of the hardcore band news. Because by the t- you know, I start going there, those shows started in 91, I think he said. I think it was earlier than that. Ni- 90 Ninety, eighty-nine? Yeah. 89? Yeah, ninety, I
2: think probably.
0: Um, I so I, start, I started going there in maybe, let's say 97, mm-hmm. I was 14, right? And to me, at that point, it seemed like something that had been going on forever. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like. And looking back, I mean,
2: that in, is kind of a long time. In like in the, punk, punk chronology, yeah. yeah,
1: seven years is yeah. huge,
0: but like looking at it now, that it's been, it's going on, you know, 20, yeah. over 20 years, yeah. 25 years, you know, since they started having shows there, and it's kind of like that seven years isn't, isn't, it doesn't seem like that much. Like, yeah. I, I was kind of there at, at what might be characterized as the, you know, towards the beginning at that, this point and it's so funny it
2: brings me back to the very beginning of this conversation because that's another thing I was thinking about regarding Nevermind the Bollocks because I was like it's so fucking crazy to think that you know when I got that record like it seemed like the Sex Pistols were already like lost in the mists of time but it was like maybe maybe six seven years later sure and, you know, now we're 25 years after Nirvana, you know? <laughs> Which I know. Like, yeah, it's, the, it's so bizarre. I mean, when you're, when you're in the midst of living something, those, those increments of time seem longer than when, I guess, when you have the perspective to look back on. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think about it a lot. I mean, you know, going on, if I started going to shows when I was 14 in like a year and a half I'll have been going to shows at No Rio for 20 years yeah, yeah. you know and it's like that's that's insane Yeah, and like the roles that I've played in that space have changed it from like smoking dust in the backyard as a teenager to like being in my early 20s and telling other kids they couldn't drink 40s <laughs> back there because they had made the new laws after the yeah. Great White Fire or uh-huh. whatever oh yeah uh,
2: Station Fire Providence
0: yeah I've been thinking a lot about why like what it is about punk that keeps people invested Mm -hmm. because the ways that I'm invested aren't even about like like bringing in like teaching new young kids about how to do something cool or whatever like it's not about like passing on some passing some torch or anything like that it's like it's more of like a just kind of a like entrenched and foundational ethos to how I do everything I do yeah
2: well, yeah. I mean, it's like that. That that is how I feel about it too. It's uh, you know, it kind of, I, I, it kind of feels good to. I think it feels good. It feels good to me to to acknowledge that like I'm a lifer and I know a lot of other lifers. You know, yeah. and it's it's nice. Like even even. Uh, even Amy Mann, you know, I play sure. this band with now. Like she, obviously, most people know her from Till Tuesday, but she was in like weird, like no wave punk bands in Boston. You know, before they started writing pop songs and became.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's clear. Just
2: like Till Tuesday.
0: Watching her do anything for five minutes, yeah. it's clear that she's just like a
2: true freak. Yeah, absolutely, and and uh, that's. I mean like, that's like another one of those things like uh, like I was saying, like you kinda know when you have a shared history, like yeah. why we get uh, why we got along so well, like from the f- moment we met. It's just like you, sometimes you just click with somebody and you're like, Oh yeah, I bet if I started asking you questions about like this or that band too, like you
0: know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It'd turn out yeah. oh yeah. Oh, yeah, I would yeah, yeah, I used to go you know, Sure, I know all the SSD guys, you know, so it's still of course you do. Yeah, see, Lydia Watch play eight hundred times or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Who's putting out those records? She is. She's putting out That's another thing. Like she started she got after Till Tuesday got fucked around by the major label that they were on, two in a row. Um, she just said, fuck it, and just started her own label like way back in nineteen ninety one or something. Sure. It's been doing putting out her own records since then.
0: Cool. So you've avoided major labels entirely
2: for Mm -hmm. your entire career. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I think that's it, and like, to no real detriment.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, who can say? You know, like the closest I ever came was after um, after Hearts of Oak came out. Um, somebody from Columbia, an a and guy from from Columbia, got in touch, and I, I went and met with him. And um, he was he was saying he was hitting all the right notes to get me on board you know like, sure. it was really just like it's like we want to treat you like springsteen you know <laughs> it's like come on man okay. you know like, it's like seriously we just want you know we want you to be able to have a again like we want you to have a home where home. you can just like make music and not worry about stuff you know because um, that that's the that's the flip side about it is that you know my entire life is worrying about stuff you know worrying about how I'm going to afford the next thing I need to do, whether it's getting to the next town or making the next record or whatever. Um, But, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about it, and I was just like, I'm already, like, I was already 34 at that point, and I was like, I don't,
0: you know, I don't
2: necessarily see how this is going to like break through to some new audience what I'm doing right and I bet you that a certain percentage of my audience that already exists is going to walk away from me if I make this this choice like it can't be the right choice yeah man, so. yeah yeah that's real
0: yeah I uh my girlfriend used to work at uh Millennia, Millennium some vegan restaurant in San Francisco yeah Millennium yeah, Millennium uh, Millennium. uh she, I told her that I was going to interview you today, and she was like, "He always would come in with the best, the best vintage Harringtons, and he always had a crass button covering up the Fred Perry logo." That's true.
2: I did do that. It's yeah. funny, like <laughs> re skinhead and mod stuff too. It's like, I don't know, you know, once you get once you get hooked on that style,
0: it's a really good style. It's, it's hard
2: to get out. Of it. yeah. yeah, it's like, you know. Go veer in different directions but that center kind of always uh-huh. always holds I think of like, I think of I, I, I definitely have a uh, an older older peace punk heart you know sure yeah time. but uh, but um, yeah I, I I gravitate toward the hard mod
0: Whatever. I mean, have you seen <laughs> Steve Steve ignorant in the past four years? I, like this? Actually, yeah. I just saw some crass documentary, <laughs> yeah. and it's like he's in a fucking bar wearing a Fred Perry with a shaved head right, watching right. a football game. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's like that's one of the ways you can you can grow up, look like an adult, but yeah. also signify that you're like involved in countercultural right, activity. It's kind of true. Yeah, there's only so many options. That's if r- You don't yeah, want to become a rockabilly.
2: Man, I know. I know. I worry about that too. Because like, I also like, you know. I'm like, talking about we're talking about looks and stuff. Like, yeah. I don't, you know, like I don't know what the fuck to do with my hair because I don't want to shave my head. Right. But this is all my hair does, and I'm really, <laughs> I'm really afraid. Like, it's, I'm really afraid of looking too rockabilly at that time, You know. Yeah. It's like I wake up and it's like this. You know, it's like all. Oh, I think it looks do. it looks power pop on you though, so you
0: don't need to worry. It's
2: right. like that. You too. know what I
0: mean? You don't. Yeah. You, if you grew it a little <laughs> longer, you might. You might have to like be veering towards rockabilly, yeah. but I think you're good. You're good for That's now. That's funny. Right? Yeah. Also, like, just don't wear creepers, and I think you're safe. No. Or, uh, or Doc Martin wingtips.
2: I actually have. A, I actually just recently got like a. They're not creepers, but a pair of like kind of pointy faux suede. Yeah. Of shoes, course. but you gotta wear you gotta wear them with a suit. Only. So that you look power-pop. Yeah. Because yeah. if you
0: wear them with your jeans, yeah. you look like you're going to the Social exactly. Distortion Show. Exactly. I want a holiday in the
1: sun. I want to go to the New Bell son
0: see some history, cause now I got a reasonable economy, now I, a reason. now I got a reason, now I got a reason, now I got a reason, and I'm still waiting, got a, got a reason, now I got a reason to be waiting. Oh, hey, oh, hey, oh, wow, that song is way harder to sing than I thought it was going to be. As usual, the theme song is Pizzeria Fatale by La Cara Occulta. Thanks to Pat Ganley, the sound engineer, editor, general audio dude, and Supreme mensch who helps make this show possible. Thank you to the Sex Pistols for writing the song that I just sang so horribly, and thank you to all of you for sitting through me singing it so horribly. Special shout-out to my landlord, who lives in the house behind me that's technically just one structure, and there's just a thin sheet of drywall separating my office from their bedroom, and they probably heard me singing all of this. I did like 40 takes, and it was all awful. And finally, and most importantly, thank you to Ted Leo for being such a great guest. And uh, Ted Leo's got a new album that he's uh, raising funds for, slash pre-selling on Kickstarter, so fuck with that. I'll put it in the comments. Ted... Also, has a lot of smart things to say about the artist's place in the current political moment, and since it was a year ago when we recorded this interview, I didn't have a chance to ask him those questions, but luckily for you, some other dude did, and I just listened to it on a different podcast, I believe it was called This Week in Atrocity, and uh, it was pretty cool, and Ted has a lot of smart stuff to say, so I'll put that link in the description too, and that's it that's all for this one uh stick around for the next one where we have kenya robinson incredible multidisciplinary artist talking about uh her art practice how she got into the game and uh all kinds of cool stuff and she is also incredibly smart and incredibly funny and it was a real pleasure to sit down and talk to her so i'm looking forward to playing that for you and uh yeah i guess uh let's say goodbye for now i'll leave you with a little segment of that interview a little bit of a tease uh, you know what I mean and uh, resist this terrible government in any way you can support trans people, support immigrants support undocumented people, Black Lives Matter give money to jail rioters, bail funds no cops, no creeps peace in the pizzeria, 2017 till infinity, here's a little bit of Kenya
1: One of my most satisfying experiences is when I show some of the images and they're like, is that you? Uh-huh. And it's like, that's what we should always be asking people. We shouldn't be so assumptive. Is that you? Uh-huh. Like, I, I think that that is what is most appealing about it. Like, Like, I have been thinking about these avatars. Like, I have this one piece called Monday Night where I got these, like, ten white women and and it was like fans and shit like that. And I was the documenter so people at this performance didn't know who I was. And it was like as soon as I obscured my role people opened up and got the communication of what I was trying to say. Because, you know, when I would do things... Because of my black femaleness, it was like, it could be these five things, because right. I read it in a book, and if it's not one of those five things, then I'm dismissing it, you know? It's like, it's not you. Like, yeah. like if I would do something that is not, like, assigned <coughs> as black art, which is pretty much all of my work, like, then... I'm not revealing myself. And it's like everything that I do is about me.